Here we go! And so it begins indeed. Thank you, Kosh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Quest for Pixels News Roundup for the week of August 19th, 2018. I'm your host, the man with all the disappointed stares, and joining me tonight is Cam from Casual Master Quest. Is that right? That is right. How are you doing, Cam? Wonderful. How about yourself? I am doing good. So, anything happen interesting this week? Ooh, for me on my end, I've actually delved a little bit into a lot of mobile games because I try and get a wide berth in terms of covering everything. Uh, so not my usual haunt, but I'm really getting into mobile games, trying to understand where the uh, interest lies there. So pretty much that's what's going on with me. How about you? Oh, not too much. It's first week of school, so it's a busy week for me, but it's, uh, it's always good to be working again. Sure, Drew. So... Uh, what have you been playing this week? I know you said you got some mobile games. Anything you want to share? Yeah, so I've actually jumped a little bit into Old School RuneScape. It has its Android beta out right now. Mm -hmm. I've also actually tried playing Shimigami Tensei Liberation DX2 a little bit, which is a sort of gotcha game, but it's a little step up, fully voice acted and all of that. And then just some other stuff like that, so Fire Emblem Heroes, and another one actually more obscure called Girls Frontline. I was just trying to go through basically the more popular mobile games to try and understand where the appeal lay and uh, how whaling affects those in terms of like microtransactions and the like. So, how about yourself? Awesome. I've been playing um, mostly East 8 Lacrimosa of Dana. Ooh, um, perfect. But I've also did a little bit of streaming this week from the PlayStation. For those of you who listened last week, you know that my my capture card decided to die, so everything is having to be streamed either through the Xbox or the PlayStation now. I can't do my Switch really easily anymore. Oof. Um, I know that I can do it. I've done it before through the Xbox. It's just it doesn't look as nice when you do it that way. Uh, so I did do a little bit of streaming this week of the very beginning of uh, The Last of Us Remastered. I've never played all the way through that, so I thought I'll start it over and stream it on the channel. So uh, keep a lookout for that on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash questforpixels. But let's go ahead and jump right into the news. The news is brought to you by patreon.com slash questforpixels. That's quest the number four pixels, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can support shows like Quest for Pixels Conversations, Quest for Pixels News Roundup, and the show that I promise will start soon on the stack. <laughs> All right, we're going to start off with a little bit of an update to a story we did last week. Uh, and this is coming right from Jason Schreier over at Kotaku, a person that Philip Muchin isn't really a big fan of these days. And, yeah. Uh, we're going to give a little bit of an update to what's going on with Philip Muchin. And uh, how, how much have you been following this? So this was actually one of my major news stories on a couple of my projects for last week. So I've been following this relatively closely. Cool. So just the, the small recap, Philip Muchin is out over at IGN because he did some plagiarizing, it looked like, for a Dead Cells review. And it was uh, put into a video, look how similar his review is to mine. And so IGN did some investigating, and about 24 hours later, uh, they sent him packing. Um, when he put out his apology video, he made very clear to say, you can go and look at my stuff, I have not done any more plagiarizing. Except that he did. A lot. <laughs> In fact, he did so much that Dan Stapleton, the, the reviews editor over at IGN, uh, posted on Twitter during the last week, uh, we've seen enough now both from the thread and our own searches that we're taking down pretty much everything he did. Um, so they have begun the process of removing every article he ever posted. And they are going to re-review Dead Cells for their uh, website. And I kind of wonder if maybe they'll review some re-review some other stuff that he did 
Um, yeah, I know uh, one they were mentioning was, I think he actually worked on the Doom and Skyrim port for Switch, so that's one they might have to revisit as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just can't imagine, and we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I just can't imagine what goes through your mind that says, I'm working for the biggest games company in the world. What goes through your mind that says, I'm going to copy somebody else's work and I won't get discovered? And it's not like he did it just the one time with Dead Cells. It's It's been shown that he did it multiple, multiple times. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was even to the point where people, you know, went around the joke with it. But they looked at his LinkedIn profile and it was copied word for word from a how to create a profile oh from just gosh. a how-to, basically. So even his resume, it seemed habitual, honestly. And yet there will still be people who will just fall in line and watch anything he posts on YouTube. But I don't think he'll be working in the games media industry anymore. Yeah, he, he didn't do himself any favors with the apology video either. Uh, in the video itself, too, he was kind of talking about, like, oh, this is a one-time thing, as you said, basically. Like, oh, it's a complete coincidence. He didn't even say, I think, he was sorry until 24 minutes into the video or something like that. So it's he really didn't do himself any favors. And with all this coming out, he's probably out of the and industry. Then, and, and then monetizing that video. <laughs> oh, the hate is, is real on the Internet. Um, so, yeah, he did do the Doom and Skyrim, like you said. He also did uh, Bayonetta 2. And... Oh, where did it go? Um, a list even includes an Octopath Traveler article that copied from one of his own IGN colleagues' review. Yikes. And I think the craziest thing about that to me is there's, there's a joke that kind of goes around a little bit, which says that basically a lot of people get into games journalism, and it's unfortunate. But there's an idea out there, or a I should say, uh, maybe uh, the word for it's escaped me right now, but the idea is basically that people get into games journalism because they can't get into journalism elsewhere, and that was generally their goal or their dream, mm. and so it's kind of a fallback position for them, and I hope that's not true. I hope the people that would get in would be interested in the field, but I could see this being the case because we have seen, as of late especially, a lot of games journalists copying things, a lot of games journalists not completing the games that they're reviewing, and it kind of just lends towards this idea that they don't care too much, which is really unfortunate, I think. Yeah, and that's a really big problem. Like, right now I'm working on East 8 uh, Lacrimosa of Dana for the review for our website, and I probably should have had this review out a long time ago, because the game came out in May. Yeah. But I was working on another JRPG at the time, and I really didn't want to put the reviews for these games out until I had a chance to complete them. Definitely. I actually, I'm a big Falcon fan myself uh, for Nihon Falcom, so I played East 8 to completion as well, so that's a really great time, actually, I feel. So how many hours did that take you to complete? Ooh, I think that was a shorter end for JRPGs for me, so I think it was around 40, 42 maybe. Oh, good, because I think I'm only about 15 hours in. <laughs> so uh, it feels very like I'm just hunting for, for people. So hopefully uh, some other stuff. Uh, it's a really fun game, though. Um, it looks like garbage on the TV when you're playing it on the Switch, but um, handheld mode is just a, just a wonderful little time killer. Yep, yep. Yeah, I played it on the PS4 release at launch, so I don't have a comparison point to the Switch version, but... Yeah, well, the Switch version, I don't think, is even running at 720p on the uh, on the TV. Yeah, that's not too, too surprising, considering some things, but... Alright, um, let's go ahead and move on. I think we've talked Philip Muchin to death. Um, our next story is interesting, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, porn stars are now using Fortnite and other video games to stream for extra income. Um, so they are, this is from hotnewhiphop.com. <laughs> oh, the reputable video game site yeah, everybody mm -hmm. knows. <laughs> yes. It's, it's really this weird thing. I could have pulled it from somewhere else. This just happened to be the first place that I saw this article at. Um, but... It says the adult entertainers are diversifying their hustle. I don't know. I I just kind of wonder, like, who's watching this? Who's who's watching these girls play Fortnite when they would rather be watching them do 
something else. <laughs> I would say probably it's probably the similar crowd that does donate en masse on Twitch to uh, female streamers that everybody cites generally. But, uh, you know, you make bands meet the way you can, you know? So if it's the way to get extra cash and they need it, that's the way to go. At least I would say Twitch community guidelines does make it so that you can't just show pornographic images on Twitch. Right, so, right. So at least there is a sense of, or at least a... They're keeping their clothes on for these yeah. uh, for these cameras. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we mentioned Fortnite at the beginning, but uh, they've also taken to playing Overwatch and World of Warcraft. And I just have to wonder, like, how many people that they're playing with online, how many people realize that they're running around with, like, porn stars? It's just, it's just interesting. Yeah, and also note, I think those are three of the most popular categories on Twitch in general, so. Oh, good. Now I know what I need to be streaming, then. <laughs> um, and so one of the people that they interviewed said, it is an independent form of revenue, but like any entertaining job, whether camming or streaming <laughs> to get donations you simply have to be skilled you can't expect to go on as a big name star or having giant breasts you have to have be good and entertain people so i mean yeah that's one way to think about it i say that there's definitely like that's an assist i would say to have those assets is an assist but you definitely still have to be entertaining and still have to play the game you can't definitely not, you know? no there's a reason why i don't make a whole lot of money doing it well, i don't make any money doing this it's because <laughs> Uh, I don't have I don't have the right looks to make my skills worth paying for I don't know <laughs> alright let's move on Boyfriend Dungeon have you heard about this game? yes today? I have yes I have I actually saw it at PAX East I believe as well because we're going to go right from porn stars to talking about boyfriends perfect um, so for those who have not heard about this uh Boyfriend Dungeon is, and this is uh, GQ. GQ is apparently getting into the video game news, so we'll see. We'll see how that works out for them. Uh, Kit Fox Games just started a Kickstarter recently to finish up this game for its release on PC next year. Uh, so it's really actually kind of an interesting concept. You, you run around, and, and it's a socialist, not socialist, but a social-esque kind of game and when you get your your boyfriends in, in, in into they they turn into swords and then you go kill stuff with yeah. your boyfriend so the way <laughs> the way i've looked at this actually is uh, is a very popular genre of game in japan and this is honestly what pushes a lot of the end psp sales and still some of the ps vita sales which is the otome genre and it's generally games about dating guys meant for girls primarily and so okay. this is kind of like a version of that i would say where the idea is you have a bunch of cute guys who are also swords so it's a dungeon crawler but as you said the social aspects are much more heavy and you get to date your sword boyfriend so there you go right well and, and G gq says it's a system reminiscent of the persona series okay so okay yeah, I can I'm see in. that. <laughs> Persona 4 Golden is one of my favorite games of all time, so I'm in. I'll do it. Yeah, well, and I thought about this. I, you know, I know that they're probably marketing this more towards females, but I just kind of think it sounds like an interesting game that I would want to play. Oh, yeah. No, I play this stuff, too. It's great. So, I'm not terribly fond of, of Dungeon Crawlers. My, my uh, review for... Uh, what was that? Shin Megami Tensei was... Um, not the best review they had. Oh, was that was that Strange Journey uh, Redux that came out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I love what they say at the end of this article. It says, "Imagine if the Bachelorette were a video game. We'd never stop playing." <laughs> they so, should just move to Japan. They got shelves and shelves of PSP games there for them. Yep. Yep. All right. Any other thoughts about that? Uh, no, that's really all it is. Like I said, I saw briefly at PAX East, I believe. There was a couple games like this there, but I think this was one of them. I didn't get a chance to play it, but I definitely am interested in this type of game. I think games with social links, VN-like aspects are really interesting, and it's a genre I do enjoy, so I'll definitely be looking into this. Did you play at all the, um, the most recent entries in uh, Fire Emblem on the 3DS? Yep, I've played most of the Fire Emblem. Well, all the Western-released Fire Emblem games, yes. Okay. Other reason I ask is I'm not a big fan of those games, but I've heard that there's a big social element in the yeah, most recent most recent games. 
-hmm. And it's actually what put it back on the map, because for the longest time, Fire Emblem was considered a dead series by Nintendo of America, and they really weren't going to do anything with it. But they came out with Fire Emblem Awakening. It got like two million in software sales, which was huge for that series. And it did so mainly because of the social aspects of the game. You could date people, you could even have kids in the game, and of course the gameplay. So it ended up being a big seller. The localization, though, was kind of weird, because I, I, I heard this thing about where in the Japanese version, they had this thing where you're, like, rubbing on somebody's face. And yeah. So they had to do some some serious editing because it was just too weird for the Western audience. <laughs> yeah, that was in, uh, in Fire Emblem Fates. There was, like, this live 2D thing where you could basically, you caressed the different heroes' faces as you got to know them higher in the oh social link ranking, and they didn't bring it over here. So we missed out on that, unfortunately. Very unfortunate, but... <laughs> I, I'm not sure I, I necessarily needed that in my life anyways. <laughs> so one of your buddies over at Casual Master Quest is going to be interested in this story at least. Ooh. Uh, Overwatch is getting a free week. Actually, he probably owns the game already oh, everywhere yeah. he plays. So Overwatch <laughs> is getting a free weekend on consoles and PC. Uh, they did this, um, was it last month? Yeah, I think so, about a month ago. Except it was only for the PC. Uh, this is going to open it up as well to uh, Xbox and PlayStation as well. And so you'll be able to go, if you're on PC, just download it through uh, Battle.net client. Um, you can do it through the Xbox One store or the PS4 store um, for their respective editions, Overwatch Origins edition, the Xbox One store, and uh, is it... Legendary edition on PlayStation 4. I don't Ooh, I'm not too sure on the naming scheme of those special editions. You got me there. <laughs> so, but yeah, all you do is just go and download it, and you'll be able to play for. It's going to begin 11 a.m. on Thursday, the 23rd, and will go until 11:59 uh, p.m. on Monday, the 27th. So it's a nice four-day uh, free trial. Yeah, I actually think it's a pretty good idea considering where we are in Overwatch's lifespan too because they've had an interesting like price structure where they've kept it at $40 new, that's how it debuted and that's how it's been, except for special editions and things like that. So right. this is now saying, okay, we've sold a lot, of course it's one of the biggest games out there right now, we have a strong stream environment, we have a tournament environment, let's make it free more often, get more people in so they will buy the game and keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, we were even talking, I think briefly actually, on one of my other podcasts about the idea that it might might be in the future looking at going free to play and then maybe doing some sort of more aggressive loot box type structure but that's all you know completely up in the air we'll see effects of these basically test runs we'll see how that would work or not i think they need to find a different way to make it free to play than the loot boxes i think the the industry is not really happy with loot boxes right now uh the consumers in the uh, industry anyways definitely and i think even if it's free to play i think there would be a big backlash if if all of the gear or different characters can only be obtained through paying for these loot boxes. Yeah, the thing about Overwatch now is you can get a little bit through level up, but it's still, I mean, they made a billion dollars on loot boxes, uh, only in only, I think, a year and a half, an actual billion. So it's still an enormous structure within Overwatch, but you can at least earn some of those boxes a little bit through level up. But, you know, whereas things like Fortnite, you have to buy, pay like $20 for one skin at the high tier, basically. So it, mm. it, we'll see how things go forward with that and how this affects that. But it's a good idea to do a free weekend always, I think. It doesn't cost them much, I would say, for the benefit they get of new people coming in. Well, and, and since the last time they did a free weekend, they've even added a new character, Wrecking Ball. Mm -hmm. I've never played Wrecking Ball because I realized that I wasn't ever using my Xbox Live, so... I stopped paying for it in the middle of July, and then he came out July 24th. This is actually something that's very interesting, so I might even run into a PC store and uh, end up battling at this client, that is, and, and try to get uh, this free weekend so I can try out Wrecking Ball, because sound, it sounds really interesting. An anthropomorphic hamster from the moon, literally. Oh. He's, a, he's the seventh tank hero in the Overwatch lineup. And he provides disruption while also being an aggressive bruiser that bullies the enemy's backline, eliminating vulnerable heroes that are left unguarded. That's uh, from his official bio on Blizzard. 
so that it sounds interesting that we'll be able to, to play a little bit of Overwatch without having to pay for it, and maybe I'll have to buy an, the game again. I don't know. It could be. <laughs> All right. We're going to go ahead and move on to our Sony news. All right. Because I have a, you know, masochistic tendencies, I suppose. <laughs> Everybody on that listens to this regularly will know that I am not Sony's biggest fan. Oh, okay. So, I'm a big fan of everybody. I want to give them all a big hug, except for when I don't, and then I'm not. Sounds about right. Yep. 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 <laughs> well, it's good news for PlayStation and Sony in general. This is at dailystar.co.uk, their tech gaming area. So it's good news for PlayStation is PS4 and PSVR scores another big victory over their rivals. And I'm not sure if I really believe that that's a good headline for this article. Because really, this is about their VR hardware. Yep. Uh, they, they revealed that as of the 20, or 16th rather, of August, they have sold 3 million uh, PSVR units. Um, so, and 21.9... Uh, VR games mm-hmm. and experiences. Uh, so, how, how do you feel about VR in general? Regardless yeah, so, of- so, regardless of this, yeah, my feelings on VR is I do think that there's a lot of times in the video game industry in the past where the, you've looked at something or people looked at something as a gimmick and kind of said like, oh, you know, that's that's pretty proto technology. We're not ready to go to that right now. Kind of like early 3D, and then they decided basically, oh, we're going to focus on the previous thing. But I think that VR will eventually be something that we really have to consider as a serious contender. And mm-hmm. generally, when you get new technologies like these, the first generation of them are usually the ones that you need to kind of be spreading the gospel, where the early adopters will be the ones who go out and tell everyone how awesome it is. And mm-hmm. we're still very much in that point, I think, with VR, where right now it's very niche, it's relatively expensive, PSVR being without, you know, without having to build a PC, one of the cheaper options, besides the phone-based mm-hmm. ones. It's like a nice thing but they really need that push behind it and they needed to keep going till they develop new technologies make it cheaper make it more accessible to everybody so i think right now it's an interesting sort of first generation novelty it'll be something we look on in the past like back in the uh, future i think looking in the past and saying like oh that was cool the very first generation of vr uh, but right now it it's having trouble standing up on its own but i think that's very temporary i think that the vr accessibility is a really big part of this because i know for me i have a a gear for my Samsung. Yep. And I I really like it. It's it, there's a video online somewhere of me losing my crap while I was watching a spider's experience on that thing. <laughs> and my son was only like 3 at the time, and so he's sitting next to me like playing on his, you know, free phone watching YouTube or something. And I start freaking out and he he's just like, "What just happened?" And he starts laughing. He just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. But I was just really having a great experience. But something like um, the the Oculus Rift or the um, the Vive uh, or even the PSVR, those are just more expensive than I could afford right now. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's important that they keep working on this this hardware simply because people like me that aren't going to go spend $300 for a VR, much less the seven or $800 you'd have to pay for anything else. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's really important that they, that they get this technology to not be so expensive. Um, what do you think though about the fact that Microsoft has kind of abandoned their VR, uh, talk? Uh, do you think that's going to hurt them? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I do remember back at a couple E3s ago, they were really showing off their HoloLens, and then it kind of just fell into the wayside and never really came out. I don't doubt that Microsoft's working on something big. Uh, they have enough money, they're never not, especially with what we saw at E3 this year, where Phil Spencer has been promoted to a vice president of Microsoft from the gaming division, and he's now clearly putting his hand in multiple pots, even going to Japan trying to get their support. So they're probably working on something in secret. I don't know what it is necessarily, but Microsoft's not going to let an opportunity slip them by. Uh, one of the initial reasons, actually, they that cited for them getting into the console wars in the first place was that they didn't want Sony becoming a home a hand, like a home name over them. Basically, they didn't want the Sony PlayStation be stealing all the spotlight. When we're Microsoft, we created you know Windows. That's us. So they basically funded 
not single-handedly, but they funded their division to make Xbox off the idea of we need to fight Sony in that market. So if Sony goes to a market, even though there's not as big as a name these days in terms of like everyone has the PlayStation, uh, they'll still probably pursue them there, I think. So I think they're working on something. Uh, I think that they're, they can the hurt on Microsoft is weird because Microsoft has so much money that they can play around and fail at things and it won't matter too much. Right. Whereas Sony's in a much more precarious situation where their gaming division is one of the only profitable ones. Uh, so Sony needs to be very more careful, play it much more safe. And I think PSVR was smart in that everybody had a PS4. You know, there's 80 million plus out there right now. And all mm. you needed was the headset. Whereas if you're making a Vive or an Oculus, you need to buy or build an $800 PC and then at launch buy the $600 VR unit, right? So right. the overhead was ridiculous. I think what they really need to work on for VR now is fixing the games up because everything's still controlled via like teleportation for movement, basically. You basically point where you want to go and move to it. Uh, and then on top of that as well, none of the games still have gotten to that breakthrough point, I think, where it becomes a game that's necessary to, or can be, only be done in VR and not just a game that's VR compatible. So they need their big breakthrough, I think. They need to focus on the software side, but it's very much a slow chugging train, I think. I think it just needs time. So I think Microsoft, their biggest thing right now is that they need to focus on first party games because we cannot have another year like 2018 and 2019. Yeah, where where your biggest game was also your biggest flop. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that uh, Microsoft knows that. I, I really trust Phil Spencer. He's the one who actually turned the whole thing around from Don Matrick back in the 360 yeah. days with the Connect and such. But you know, they acquired those five studios and bought up five studios at E3, which is super crazy, including some pretty big name ones. So they're clearly aware of the first party thing and going into next generation. I actually think they're in a pretty strong position. So. Cool. Well, we're going to talk a little bit now about why I don't like Sony all that much. I have a right. PS4. Yep. Um, but the problem that I have with, with Sony is, is all about exactly what this article here is about. This is from CNET. It says, The Elder Scrolls games threatens to, dish, to ditch PlayStation if Sony won't approve crossplay. So Bethesda is working on Elder Scrolls Legends. But because Sony doesn't play nice with others, they're thinking, well, we just won't go to PlayStation then. Um, and I'm really, I have to tell you, this is like such a happy news article for me because um, <laughs> we have talked to death on this show about Sony's inability to play well with others. Yep. And, and I really don't want to spend a terrible amount of time giving them more attention for their inability to crossplay, but yep. at the same time I'm so happy to see that this might actually result in a consequence for them definitely yeah no I'm, bo I'm bored with you with this idea uh, the way I generally think about it and frame it though is that whoever's winning generally has a problem where whoever's like making the most money generally has a problem with that sort of thing so Microsoft and Nintendo now have no problem working with each other while Sony goes off and makes their things exclusive but like even thinking back to the past where when Nintendo owns you know 90% of the US market share with the NES they had their own series of things where oh you can't publish in other systems also publishers you're gonna like have to deal with production you're going to have to deal with stocking. You're going to have to take hits if the games don't sell yourselves. So whoever's in charge generally has to have this, like, a monopoly on we can do what I want because we're the biggest guys out there. Uh, so now it's Sony's turn for getting cocky, basically. And uh, hopefully they get smacked down for it. I think every time somebody should. And in this case, it looks like Bethesda might be doing so because publishers are finally getting big enough that they can say, hey, Sony, guess what? You might need us, but we don't need you necessarily. Right. So right. this is the case of that. And I really like it. Like for Bethesda to bring out the hardball here, I really like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to see that this happening because I think what's going to happen uh, is... With Phil Spencer over at Microsoft, I, I think what's going to happen is that in the next console generation, this is where the biggest hit is going to come to, to Sony, is that yeah. Sony's going to go back to being the underdog because nobody's going to want to buy their next console. They're going to say, oh, you know what? Microsoft did a lot better towards the end of their console generation. Let's, let's go play over there this time. And you're going to see kind of what happened with the 360 version and the PS3 era where where everybody kind of flocked over to Microsoft. But the difference here, I think, is that Phil Spencer and Microsoft have learned from the past mistakes. Mm. And so I think that even when they're back on top, they're still going to be the same basic company that we're seeing right now. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that because I completely agree. And uh, it's interesting. There's this nice cycle that's happened where pretty much every one of the big three has made a big mistake at the beginning of a generation. And so we've all now finally been through the cycle where, you know, Nintendo with the Wii U uh, didn't do a good job on advertising or differentiating it. Or naming so it. Right, so they shot themselves in the foot, basically. Uh, PS3, at their launch with 599 and no games, basically shot themselves in the foot as well. And then I, uh, Xbox One, of course, with the always online, needs to connect to the internet, you can't have used games, you have yeah. to have the connect, shot themselves in the foot. So everyone's done it once. And the question is, is Sony cocky enough to do it again next generation, considering they're winning? And if they do, if they make a mistake, if they decide to push some sort of program that people aren't on board with, Microsoft will eat them up alive. And that's kind of where I'm feeling right now is like Microsoft's in a really good position with what they're planning from at least the perspective I look at. So I'm like, oh, yeah, Sony, don't get uh, cocky because you're going to get eaten. Yeah, and I don't think that they're going to cave on this generation. They've sold too many of the PS4s to, to think that they need to cave right now. But right. I think what you're going to see is when the PS5 comes out, they're going to be making some big shakeups as to how they do business. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be good for the industry overall because I think that Microsoft, again, that they're going to basically remain the same company they already are, but hopefully they'll have better first-party titles. Yeah, and the scary thing too, I think, the scariest thing for me in terms of the PS5 and the next consoles is uh, there's a rumor, of course, about a month ago, uh, and they, it was relatively confirmed places, that Microsoft is working on two consoles, one being a stream box and one being a basically high-powered right. uh, console. It's like the top of the line, basically. So then you run into this problem where Sony needs to make money, but Microsoft's willing to take a loss and create the most powerful console as well as a stream box for a cheaper option. So how does Sony get somewhere in the middle while making it a good option that people just won't go elsewhere. So that's the tough part for Sony is like Sony's basically being pincered attacked in the next generation already. So they need to come up with something to get themselves out of it because it'll be trouble. Now, the, the nice thing for Sony, the, the one thing that they do have going for them, no matter what console generation they go into, is is that they've got Naughty Dog. Yep. And, and so they've got, you know, some of the best exclusives in gaming right now. It's true, yeah. So... Well, all right, let's go ahead and talk about some Microsoft news. Have you heard of this Momo Suicide game? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I looked into this recently, but there was some connections to a previous Suicide game that I had covered before, which was the Blue Whale Challenge. Uh, so this is pretty dark stuff, but basically the idea is that in online games and various online games between these two games, this Momo challenge and the Blue Whale one before it, the general concept is the same where some people get a message from something or some figure basically uh, telling them to do tasks over a certain period of time. And if they don't do these tasks, horrible things will fall them. If they do do these tasks, eventually the task will end with suicide and them killing themselves. And what I heard with the Blue Whale Challenge was it was basically hackers primarily, and mm. they would get personal information. So it was, hey, I'll release this personal information about you unless you do these challenges. And I'm probably assuming that the Momo Challenge is similar. Uh, it uses WhatsApp, which is one of the most famous messaging apps in Asian countries. Uh, interestingly enough, owned by Tencent, which is the biggest company in Asia, also owns a stake in Riot Games, Epic Games, things like that. So okay. it's Tencent's app, and they basically get sent this image of this creepy avatar, and as I said, asked yeah, to do tasks really eventually creepy. relating in you killing yourself. So the I do want to say the avatar was made by a Japanese guy, I believe, and has nothing to do with the game itself. But yeah, these suicide games have been proliferating pretty heavily in the last like two months or so, and it's pretty dark stuff. Like People are actually dying related to it, so it's yeah. terrible. So our, our information coming from foxnews.com uh, says that the Momo suicide game started garnering attention after spreading on WhatsApp, mm -hmm. uh, but they are looking into um, where is it at? Yeah, they're looking into a, a report that Argent the police in Argentina are investigating whether Momo is linked to the suicide of a 12-year-old girl in Escobar. Yeah. Uh, so. This also, like you said, Blue Whale Challenge led to reports of suicide in Russia and the U.S. Uh, and then in 2014, uh, there were girls, 12-year-olds, attempting to kill a classmate in an attempt to please Slenderman. Right. Oh, man, Slenderman. Oh. 
Jeez. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate because that's an impressionable age, of course. And when you're in the young teams, things are relatively awkward. So you're very susceptible in those cases, I would say, to manipulation, very susceptible to image. So social standing, that sort of thing. And given that, it's exploitable by people who want to do malicious harm. So there, there hopefully are, and it's unfortunate this happens, but people try to have protections in place to keep kids away from that sort of thing. But with the proliferation of the internet, people are going to find ways to get to them. So it's an unfortunate thing. I think, thing. though, that we've got to do a better job as parents, too, though, because I've got Definitely. a 15-year-old who I don't think he's ever thought, oh, I need to go kill somebody because right. a game character told me to. <laughs> uh, right, that's and, the thing. It really uh, comes down to the parents. It does. It does. And I was just going to say, it really comes down to the parents, and that's why the ESRB exists, right? Rating video games. You need to understand what you're buying, but the job is for the parents to understand what they're buying and not just say, oh, I, what does this M mean? I don't know. I don't know what this M means. Mature, whatever. It's fine. Just buy it, play it, without looking at the content itself and saying, okay, can my kid understand this is not reality? So, yeah. Right, right. Well, the reason that we're talking about this is because Fox News is reporting that there's a mod in Minecraft on the Xbox that's allowing um, the Momo avatar to show up in the game. Oh, and boy. so they are... Uh, how is this? The, the, the Momo image is taken from... Okay, that's WhatsApp. Where did the part about the Minecraft go? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think it was something about... I, I remember it. It was something about basically the mod put the character into the game chasing yeah, you in the game and they took it down i think uh, the minecraft team mojang took it down saying like that's not you know that's not with our terms of service we do not condone this in any way shape or form and that sort of thing so it's probably unrelated to the main game in that the peop the person who came up with this game is not the one making the mod but the mod was definitely exploitive of this game that's proliferating so. right right so yeah microsoft is is not standing for the momo suicide game yeah. showing up in minecraft I'm, I'm really glad to hear that yeah, because this yeah. is a game that's really, really super popular with kids. I know that the kids where I work, they all wear their their Minecraft T-shirts, and when the school fair comes to to the schools, they are all buying the Minecraft books. And yep. Uh, so their target age is definitely that seven to eleven kind of age range, and and we don't need something like this in the game for seven no, to eleven year olds. No. There are some changes. Coming to Xbox support. This is TrueAchievements.com, and so it's just a minor change, just honestly. Um, but they are. Let me see if uh, they're coming. It doesn't say when. Uh, the Xbox Xbox Assist. Okay, Xbox Assist <laughs> improvements. Um, this is directly from. Microsoft. It says, last fall we launched Xbox Assist on Xbox One to help you with questions and learn new ways to get the most out of your Xbox. We're always adding new features to f and ways to find what you need with Xbox Assist on your Xbox One. So later this summer we'll be adding new troubleshooters for common problems, better Xbox Live service status information, and more details on Xbox Live enforcement actions. All so right. I think that's a really big statement that said a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> yeah, just improving the virtual assistant, basically. Yep. Though one thing I will say that kind of spins off of this is that Microsoft and the Xbox team, honestly, have had really, really good quality of life compared to Sony. And partially, mm -hmm. I'd say, because they're the underdog, there's a lot of things that do just kind of work better on Xbox. The UI aside, because I think that the menu screen and finding your games is really difficult. But things as simple as if I plug in a USB, I can play most video file formats right away, even with subtitles. And Sony can't do yeah. that. You need special apps and that sort of thing. You know, the fact that it is basically just a Windows box helps it out sometimes. So they yeah. do do a lot of work to make things easy for people. I'm going to be controversial here for a second. I actually prefer the Xbox UI over the PlayStation UI. Really? Yeah, I personally find it's just, it, I, I only really play games. I don't do a lot, you know, looking at the shop, looking at other things that aren't games like sports and uh, anything they might advertise to me. So for me, it's very, I want to see my games and nothing else because I don't use it as like the water cooler, as they said, basically. So I do prefer the PS4 in that I just booted up my games right there rather than uh, the games, my games and apps being the small section and then you having to uh, get to it to actually see everything. But that's just my preference. See, and I'm, I'm a Nintendo fanboy. Mm -hmm. So most of the games I play are going to be on my Switch. Yeah. But 
right now between the Xbox and the PS4, I'm playing more games on my PS4. So mm -hmm. it's the one that's plugged in right now. But more often than not, the Xbox and PS4 are nothing but Netflix machines anyways. And on the <laughs> Xbox, I can turn it on and just go right back into Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of the quality of life thing, life thing I was saying earlier, where the Xbox does have a lot more of the easy access for that sort of thing, but when I'm more just games-oriented primarily, I will want to just go for the games, basically. So. so, quick rundown of the other stuff. Virtual a Agent is something that's being on their website for Xbox support. Uh, they're going to be getting some improvements on that. This is the one thing that I think is actually an actual improvement on Xbox support is that they're going to do support callback. So instead of having to be on hold the whole time, you can just say, yeah, call me when it's my turn in line. Oh, great. We don't have to listen to god-awful music. You know, and it's <laughs> it's always that one same song. Every place you call has that one same song that they play while you're on hold. I, I know yeah. it by heart now. So... <laughs> Xbox forum improvements. Uh, this is another one that's actually kind of an interesting one. I, I get a little bit if you're interested in weird, stupid stuff. Uh, is that the Xbox forums are actually going to move over to Microsoft Community forums? So mm -hmm. they're just consolidating their forums. That's all. Yeah, probably a smart thing to do. Yep. And then uh, they've added the ability to start a device repair and track its progress online, which is probably the most important one out of everything we said here simply because now you'll be able to know if you've sent something in for repair how long you can ex expect it to be gone yep yep so that does it for microsoft news we're gonna go ahead and move into some nintendo news um, we talked a little bit earlier about vr and now some hackers have figured out this is uh from cnet uh, Nintendo Switch's VR mode has was hidden in the system for over a year. So some hackers figured out that there's actually a VR mode in the system level firmware. Yep. So so I think yeah, there's there's a couple things here. One of course that the idea that oh wow they've been hiding this from us. I think they've definitely experimented with it a little bit. There was kind of conflicting statements of Nintendo's not ready to do VR, but at the same time, I think uh, Hiroshi Yamauchi, uh, not Hiroshi Yamauchi, sorry, that's the, the founder. It's, um, oh man, I'm trying to, Kimishima, the previous Kimishima. president before Kimishima. the current one. Yeah, Kimishima was talking a little bit about that he did think that Switch would be compatible with some sort of VR headset sometime in the future, but he wasn't sure when, or he didn't want to reveal when at least. So it's definitely consideration for them. Uh, I don't think it's anything coming out too 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 soon but there are some there are some things that you can see kind of the the beginnings i think even nintendo labo if you look at it can kind of give the idea that there might be some sort of vr thing mm -hmm. coming mm -hmm. especially with the robot kit you know control of your arms and legs i'm like hmm yeah yeah definitely yeah and i, I i'm not terribly surprised that this was found i'm terribly surprised it took them this long to find it um, yeah but I'm not surprised about this because I expected from the time that they announced that they were working on a new console that they were also going to be working on in integrating VR some way into that console. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the fact that it's not on the Switch other than that you can see it if you hack your Switch, Yep. I mean, that tells me that they're not ready to do anything with it. And I think for Nintendo right now, that's okay yep. um, because they need to worry more right now about getting back in the good graces with consumers after the Wii U era. Mm -hmm. I think another thing, too, to consider is that there has been, you know, in the past ideas where, okay, this is in, but it's not something they ever use. Like, the Nintendo 64, of course, had that port that never got used in the U.S. because they were developing the disk drive for the N64 and mm -hmm. never released it here. So it still could very much be the idea of, oh, we tested something, but we're not actually ever going to do anything with it. Uh, but considering what Kimishima did say, I think we might see something in the future, but not yet. Maybe a couple of years. Well, in our next news article, kind of makes me think this is a possibility still because uh, our next news article, which is from GameRant.com, says that Nintendo is making a 4k switch console to release in 2019 it's a rumor it's not something that's been confirmed um but i do think that if they're going to have a a upgrade in their console that that's going to be a little bit easier for them to work with vr on Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing, I actually definitely wanted to talk about this story uh, because I have some personal experiment, experience, I would say, with the person who leaked this stuff. And I, I want to say, like, 
the, the, as hardest as I can, I think this is a complete lie from this guy because the leaker is this guy named Marcus Sellers, and he's a relatively famous Nintendo leaker who claims to have sources, but he's been wrong and deleted all of his tweets just as many times as he's been right, if not more. Uh, I think actually this tweet itself has been deleted when I checked on it, so mm -hmm. he was probably completely lying about this. And I would also say that the idea of what they were doing in the article is something I don't think Nintendo would do because the article basically said and his leak said that what Nintendo was planning to do was make a force K scalable version of the Switch increasing its RAM, increasing its memory, uh, increasing its processing power and graphical power and some third party games would be exclusive to it. Uh, so that, th that sounds crazy to me and the reason why is because Switch is just shy of 20 million units right now after the first year and the worst thing they could do right now is make a version of Switch that people can't play all the games on. On, that would make people as angry as it made people within Sega uh, when the Saturn came out like right after the 32X, where people basically didn't trust the company anymore. And considering, as you said before, the Wii U and them you know, having a little bit of a consumer problem there, to then come off the success of the Switch and then ruin it basically in this way yeah. seems crazy to me absolutely crazy to me i don't think they'd ever do it i think they've learned their lesson from sega who died because of it partially because of it not to do it and yeah i don't think it's a move nintendo would make because they've never relied on third parties well yeah i i don't know that i would necessarily have believed anyways that there was going to be anything that was exclusive but it does it does sound interesting um eight gigabytes of ram 120 gigabytes of storage dynamic scaling for 4k but mm -hmm. that's that to me does not sound like something that's going to be ready in early 2019 anyways. Yeah, it also doesn't sound like a Nintendo product. They generally like to make things that are fair price point, not the most powerful thing in the generation, but at a lower price point. So to make something with 4K scaling, with adding that sort of memory, that's comparable memory. Well, like I think eight gigabytes of DDR5 is the PS4 Pro and then 12 of DDR5 is the Xbox One X. So mm -hmm. to basically make a handheld that's gonna be $400 or more, more let's be real, uh, it's not in Nintendo's game plan, I think. I think what's much more likely, and what we'll probably see is in a year or so, maybe in a couple of years, to get a Switch revision that might be smaller, but have the same processing power, but I think that they're not gonna lock out the games. So if, I, if they do anything, they won't lock out games from their original system. Absolutely, and I, I yeah. think though that they will have a mid-console upgrade that will be more powerful than the current console that's out but I, I don't think that's going to happen until they can do it without terribly increasing the price I could see it maybe going to 349 mm -hmm. uh, but I, I can't see them doing it where they would have to raise the price above 400 yeah I think the the thing that like I like that idea and that's something I think they could totally do because apparently we're doing that now right Xbox One did it PS4 did it but I think the most important thing is you cannot 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 develop games exclusively for that new system well right? Nintendo's this already done don't it do it yeah they, oh, they've done it a few times yes but I think like it, the new the new 3ds situation felt fair because there was only like one game of retail or a couple games retail with xenoblade chronicles uh what's called 3d or no mm -hmm. i think it was just xenoblade chronicles uh and that felt like at that point the 3ds is already was already out for like five or six years uh so it's a lot different than doing it for a console that's been out for one year i that's think true yeah because that hurt that would make i mean that'd make me mad i think that'd make most of the other switch owners mad is to say hey i, I think just it made your 3ds owners mad too though i think but the difference being is that we're talking about something that you can get for 200 dollars or less yeah i got i got my new 3ds for a hundred dollars on black friday mm -hmm. and so that's a big difference than having to suddenly shell out four or five hundred dollars for a new console that's not gonna that you have to beget basically if you're a serious gamer because you can't play everything on the one that you bought in 2017 yeah, I really it really comes down to a time span thing for me where the the way I look at it is like people have kind of gotten this in this mindset that yes, consoles do get upgraded, the generations do change, but it takes like four or five or maybe more years. So we're all in this pattern. So if somebody went out there and said, Oh, only after a year, like a year and a half, here comes another one, that's too much. I think that gets a big lashback if they do that. But uh, all in all, I don't think this guy, Marcus Sellers, is credible. So I think this is a fake rumor. Uh, that being said, I do think that we'll start hearing about a switch revision sometime soon cool all right do you play diablo, diablo? Uh, not not really no i'm more console based um, though i do like i've toyed a little bit just to learn what it is basically okay i haven't played it at all mm -hmm. i really do like pc gaming but um i've not played a whole lot of blizzard games i played starcraft 
yeah. and Overwatch, and that's about it. Yeah, um, I'm lacking on Blizzard as well, personally, so... Uh, but Diablo 3 I actually was always a little bit interested in, just never went and did it. But now they're going to have on the Nintendo Switch Diablo 3 Eternal Collection. And uh, I don't think it's got a release date yet, but they just because they just announced it on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they did say it will come out sometime this year. Okay. Um, so I'm interested in that, but that... Um, was really just a small story that I wanted to bring up because it kind of goes into our next story, which I'm a lot more interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that Overwatch on Nintendo Switch is, might not be dead. Yeah, this is right from Forbes. Uh, the uh, the problem that we've had with Overwatch coming to the Nintendo Switch has been that they've always said that it's just not something that would run on the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say that though. When you're putting something like Diablo 3 on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So now they're uh, they're kind of backtracking on that. This is uh, Dave Thier, Thier? I don't know. There. Yeah, what was really funny, actually, so regarding this whole, like, port remaster situation, what was really hilarious is very early on the Switch, pretty much every developer came out talking about their major games, saying, we're not going to put it on Switch, the Switch is not powerful enough. And then a little company called Panic Button ported Doom, right. and everybody was like, now hold on. <laughs> so once that happened, it felt like the floodgates opened, right? Because once Doom was ported, Wolfenstein was ported, uh, mm-hmm. Doom 2, the, the next Doom, Doom Eternal, is going to release on, release on Switch right away. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're now porting Warframe as well. They're porting Ark Survival Evolved. So this little company, Panic Button, figured out, basically, or didn't figure out on their own what they're taking utilization of is this idea of scaling where the resolution will take change dynamically basically on the fly to cope with whatever's going on at the given time in a game so it could vary wildly between 720 and like 568 or something i think in xenoblade chronicle 2's case but this is a way that you can get something like overwatch running on the nintendo switch i think the big problem for them or the big thing to worry about is nintendo switch and nintendo as a whole has a lot of a less developed online architecture than Sony yes. and Microsoft. If you ever have done one of the test fires for any of their games, the mm. servers are always having trouble. So especially with a game like Overwatch, you need to make sure that's good. So that's going to be the major problem for them, not even the game, but the internet itself. Yeah, the the test fires are always a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, always. always. So um, Overwatch needs to have their own dumpster fire before they ever release a game because they exactly. would need to have that figured out beforehand we're talking about one of the most competitive online games on the planet right now so hmm. uh if they don't do it right people are just going to go back to playing paladins yeah yeah so well all right that does it for what i've got for news let's go ahead and get into the mailbag segment and so our mailbag segment this week, and I have to say thank you to everybody who answered us on Twitter. There have been weeks where nobody has answered us on Twitter. Yeah, I, I feel that too on my end. <laughs> but we threw up the, uh, the, the mailbag question kind of late today, actually, much later than I would normally try to put it up. And we got some serious, serious um, responses compared to what we normally get from any place. Uh, but I want to start over at uh, Discord. The The question being, what Marvel character needs a video game? Uh, Joey Splats, he answered on Twitter and in Discord, but, but it was the same answer both places. He said Howard the Duck. <laughs> I actually think there there is in the 80s. I think in the 80s there was a Howard the Duck game in, in uh, Commodore, I think, maybe, for the Commodore. But, yeah, of course it needs something new now. That's old. Yeah. But yeah. yeah no. I, I don't know about a Howard. I mean, what could you do with a Howard the Duck video game? <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure about that one. But uh, Sean Capri did the little little up arrows right underneath to kind of show that he agrees with, with Howard the Duck. Second it. Here's the thing. You know, personally, I think I'm, I'm more – I'm primarily a video game guy, so I don't know too, too, too much about comics. So I don't know the full lore of Howard the Duck. There might be something wonderful in there that could really, you know, lend itself to a story-based adventure game or a, any sort of game genre, right? So I'm not too sure, but yeah, – I'd rather see a Howard the Duck movie, though, before a video game. <laughs> Sorry, Joey. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Grouchy Surge from Backlog Busters. He uh, said that he wants to see another Deadpool game. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think now honestly, like the Deadpool game that did come out, I feel like was like 
a little before all the big Deadpool hype around the movies that's been out recently. So it's a good time to make another one. And, uh, you know, the little I do know about Deadpool, I think there was an arc or something where he tries to kill the writer of Marvel Comics. So that could be fun to make a game off of, just make a really meta game or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, I didn't see Deadpool as the problem. I need to go see Deadpool. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, let's go over to Twitter. Um, at Dan, the ADD Gamer. Daredevil as a VR game where you have to play using echolocation to see your surroundings and fight crime. Make it happen, Marvel Games. Oh, wow. You know, I think there's, there's actually, it's not Marvel game, right? But there is a VR, I think for PS4, for PSVR, called blind i think it's called and it has that idea actually so if you're listening take a look into that because the idea of that game if i remember right i think it was at an e3 two years ago was you couldn't see and you had to use echolocation to like figure out puzzles and it was partially a horror game so check that out yeah that might be right up your alley yeah i really like vr so if if i ever had a psvr i would want to play a game like that that sounds Mm. that sounds good tony baker at I don't know what his Twitter handle is. At Tony Baker eighty seven said, "Oh, where'd it go?" Prince Namor, the Submariner, and he actually just posted a picture of it. Like I think personally that he went and found the most obscure <laughs> comic book character that Marvel ever created. I had never even heard of this. Prince Namor, the Submariner. A- any thoughts on, on Prince Namor? Tony, come on. I think I, I think I might have like heard of it once, but I've got no point of reference for that. Yeah, so. me neither. <laughs> Good luck with that, Tony. Adam Leonard from Megadads at the Art of Adam L. Iron Man seamless ground to air combat would be amazing. Upgrade level options would be so much fun. I agree with that. I've actually felt that for a little bit. There were a couple of Iron Man games, but they didn't really capture that feeling. Uh, I honestly think the thing that might, as contentious as a game as it is, but Anthem looks like it might have a little bit of that seamless ground to flying, you know, shooting like Iron Man rockets sort of thing going on. So that might be a way we can get that fixed in. Okay, so Brian at BravesB underscore says Anthem looks a bit like what Iron Man could be. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and then we had. Uh, Luke Lore, the insipid ghost at MLS Reserves. Where did he go? I don't think I actually put his response in here. <laughs> I mean, is insipid ghost a Marvel character? I'm, I'm almost like, was that the answer? <laughs> no, no, that's that's his uh, streaming name. <laughs> okay. Here he goes. He says, co-signed with Adam, Iron Man is the most playable. Would also love to see a game where you rotate through Widow, Cap, and Hawkeye. Hulk could be DLC. Hulk could just not be in the game. Come on, Luke. <laughs> Thor would be used in New Game Plus. You know, funny he says that because my answer to this question, I was thinking about it myself, and my answer honestly is there is a game and it's coming out, but it's not out yet and I want it to exist, which is there's an untitled Avengers game that has been worked on with Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics for I think like three years, and they announced it like way back, like three, threes ago or something like that, and we still haven't heard anything about it. So I'm like, yeah, how about that game? That's my one. That's what I want. (laughs) Cool. The Trophy Room says Spider-Bit at PS Trophy Room. And uh, I'm not sure what he means by Spider-Bit, but this is a very funny image. If you go to his uh, Twitter at PS Trophy Room, you, you can find his response to us over there. And it's a picture of a guy wearing like what looks like a rubber Spider-Man. We are getting a Spider-Man game, though, so... Yeah, yeah, we're getting a pretty big one. It's coming, like, just in a couple weeks, September 7th yeah. or something like that, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah. So your answer is that you're just really looking forward to this Avengers game? Yeah, yeah, that's the one I want to exist. So if the question was uh, what character, so those guys in that game, that please show me that, Square Enix, where are you? <laughs> I want to see, and I gave this a little bit of thought, I want to see, do you remember the old game on the Sega Genesis, Streets of Rage? Yes, of course. Okay. Because, like, everybody played Streets of Rage. Yeah, everyone played Streets of Rage. So I want a game similar to that. I want something like 16 or Mm 32-bit where it looks a little bit more classic style. And I want it to be kind of like a a Streets of Rage-esque kind of a a side-scroller where you can have multiple characters on the screen at one time, but they would be 
the lesser known Marvel heroes like Luke Cage and, and Jessica Jones. Oh, so you're thinking like an X Men arcade kind of style? Because I know yeah, like the yeah, X Men yeah. arcade game, the six player, yeah, you could just do that, but with uh, lesser known Marvel. That's a good idea. So. All right. Any other thoughts on on our Marvel characters? Anybody else? That, anybody that we're missing? Can we just like have Hulk go join DC? That's the thing. I'm always down with honestly. Like, it, it, we don't get many of them this generation. Spider Man's getting one, but like all the character action games that we used to have during like PS2, where it's just like, here's your character going through a story. Like, let's just get more of those, right? You know, they're yeah. doing one with Spider Man. Let's do one for everyone. That's what I'd be down with. I, I would be down with pretty much any Marvel character getting a new game, <laughs> except for, <laughs> except for the Hulk. Yeah, not the Hulk. So, all right. Well, that's gonna do it for the news. Thank you so much for joining us, Cam. No problem. Where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me at Cam Collects, and that's my Twitter preferred social media. And if you want to check out, I'm on a couple podcasts. I'm on Into the Video Game, which is one I produce. Uh, you can find that IntoTheVideoGame.com. I'm also on Casual Master Quest, which is the reason I'm here tonight, and uh, that's the one that my friend Tyler Vidito hosts as well and you can find that on Casual Master Quest or Master Quest Pod on Twitter alright well you can find me at MikeBC1985 you can follow the show at Quest for Pixels you can go to our website questforpixels.com you can find reviews soapbox articles news articles uh, and you can follow us on YouTube and Twitch at Quest for Pixels Gaming so thank you so much for uh, joining us this week and we will see you all next week bye bye